From the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 13, reading from verse 8. Love for the day is near. Let no doubt remain outstanding. Sorry, let no debt remain outstanding. Except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man is fulfilling the law. The commandments do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is from Matthew. It's chapter 18 and verses 15 to 20. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name... There am I with them. Thanks be to God. Thank you. From uh, that reading we just had from Matthew 18, slightly changed, more inclusive um, version of uh, the reading, if a brother or a sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, and if they listen to you, You have won them over. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your words that you give to us in the scriptures, and we pray now for your Holy Spirit to come, breathe into these words, and bring them to life for us, so that we might live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure, as most of you know, um, many of the schools went back again uh, last week after their summer break. 
And I was talking to my uh, daughter Sarah, who is a primary school teacher, and I was asking her how her week went and how what a new class uh, was like. And she was telling me that uh, most of them in her class are lovely. But um, even after a couple of days, she's been able to identify a very small group in her class who might be described as having challenging behaviour. But she said to me, it's early days, Dad, it's early days, they'll just have to learn that they cannot behave like that in my class. I thought that was an interesting statement to make really they'll just have to learn that they cannot behave like that in my class because although children go to school mainly we think for them to learn reading writing and uh, all the other bits and pieces that go with it a really crucial and important part of their learning is learning appropriate behaviour. And in fact, their behaviour can, be, can have quite an impact on their learning of other academic subjects. And indeed, not only have an impact on their own learning, but it can also have an impact on the rest of the class as well. So it's really important that a child learns how to behave. Not only for then, but also, of course, for later in life, too. If a child doesn't really learn how to behave now, it can create all kinds of problems for them in later life as well. Now, many schools have... In fact, I think most, if not all schools, have guidelines on behaviour of some shape or form that underpins everything that they do. In our school here at St Peter's, those guidelines are embedded in our Christian values, which if you go into the school, you'll see them displayed almost everywhere, those Christian values, everywhere you look, they're, they're on the walls, they're, if you, they're in every classroom that you go to, if you look at the website and so on, they are there. And those Christian values are focused on the way we are expected to behave, mainly. Friendship, thankfulness, love and compassion, hope, truth and trust, forgiveness, tolerance, reverence, respect, joy. And when you see those Christian values displayed in our school there, you will see that also they, each of them are accompanied by a biblical text so that they are grounded in the Bible itself. Now the reason why I say this this morning is because not only is this, as you know, Education Sunday when in our thoughts and our prayers we're very much thinking about our schools and our universities and them starting again on a new academic year. But in many ways also it connects with this reading that we had today for our lectionary. Which I have to say though, when I I, uh, initially looked at this reading 
about correcting a sinful member of the church, I wasn't necessarily filled with a great deal of enthusiasm about it. But thinking about it, it really is, in many ways, the same thing. In many ways, it really is about bad behavior. Bad behavior in a class can have, in many ways, a a parallel with bad behavior in the church. And we note that Jesus doesn't go into any great detail about what those sins might be. And that gives us a degree of latitude, I think, in applying this to us in many situations. Because when bad behavior occurs in a class, as I said before, it's not only the child that's displaying that bad behavior that is affected, but it's all the children in the class that are affected by that bad behavior too. And so too, when a member of the church displays bad behavior, in other words, behavior that you wouldn't think is really consistent with our values and the things that we actually hold as being important, when that behavior is inconsistent, then it not only puts themselves in a a, a difficult position, in a, in a, a, a bad light, but it also is reflected upon the rest of us as well within the church. It affects us as the church as a whole. So that what someone sees the behaviour in one particular person, bad behaviour, then they say, I, th- I told you so. I mean, that, that load of people in the church, they're all the same. Now, of course, alongside this, we also say, need to say, and you know, most of you, that none of us are perfect. And I pause there because... Do forgive me if you think you are. But most of us, then, are not perfect. Someone once said about the church, they said, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. And the fact is that most of us are here because in many ways we know that. We know that we are not perfect, in fact, far from it. But we are here because we are trying to do something about it. We're trying to be a bit better, if we possibly can. So we need to understand that problems and difficulties are inevitable within the church because they reflect our own sinfulness and the church in many ways that's we expect that the church if it's functioning well should be a cross-section of society as a whole what matters really is not the fact that we are all of us sinners and we all fall up or down from time to time but it's the way that we actually then deal with bad behavior 
when it actually happens within the life of the church. And I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, I know it's uncomfortable, and I know it doesn't sit well with the aspirations of being a loving and kind and caring community. And I know amongst many of my faults, actually I'd rather run away from it rather than actually address it when it happens. Anything for a smooth life, an easy life. But sometimes one actually has to do something about it and take some action. But as any parent will know, sometimes the most loving thing that you need to do is actually to say no. The most loving thing that you need to say to your child is actually you can't do simply what you want to do today. Thank you very much. Actually, no, you can't have that particular thing that you want to have. And I know they think us terrible when we say that, and they think as if we're being absolutely awful to them, but it really is, I try to tell them, an act of love. I'm saying no to you because I love you. So also in love, there are times when we do need to confront and challenge bad behavior within the church, particularly when that bad behavior affects others, particularly when that bad behavior is cruel or abusive to others, particularly when that bad behavior doesn't respect the rights of other people, particularly when that bad behavior brings our faith and the name of Jesus into disrepute. Not as an act of authority, not so that we can just slap this person down, but as an act of love. They may not see it that way, but actually it is as an act of love. Because if we don't, then the whole church is affected by it. The whole church is brought into disrepute, as we have seen all too clearly in recent years, with, for example, the whole issue of child abuse. It's been a really difficult, uncomfortable, and hard road to take to try to change the culture of the church in recognizing the new situation that we're now in, that we can't go back to what we used to do and what we used to be. And it's been a really hard road and it's still ongoing to help us to see as a church and a fellowship and an organization the need for safeguarding training, the need for employing safeguarding procedures in all that we do. And we don't like to do it, but we have to. Because the whole church is damaged and has been damaged 
by the actions of a very few. So in this little passage, Jesus sets out the mechanism, the procedure, if you like. It's as close maybe as we get to CPD in this biblical text. The procedure for dealing with bad behaviour. And it's a very gradual process that in the most loving way seeks to gently and peacefully and lovingly resolve that particular problem. Now, of course, we have to say that in really serious cases, in really serious criminal offences, such as child abuse, then we need to take other procedures. We can't take this procedure. There are other procedures that we have to take. Again, the church has fallen foul of that, of trying in many ways to sweep the whole thing under the carpet and wish the thing wasn't there. And we must not do that. If it's a criminal offence, we have to take action and procedures that follow that. But if it's not, if it's not a criminal offence, if it's just something that brings the church into disrepute or it's a, a, maybe something that has gone wrong between a particular person in the church and they've fallen out with the rest of the church and they've been, I don't know, running the church down or whatever it is, might be, then we seek to do it as gently and lovingly as possible to try to resolve the situation. Of course, again, if you're going on a one-to-one as Jesus says, one-to-one, first try and work it out between the two of you. Again, there are safeguarding procedures, one needs to say, that impinge upon that. But it's always the best way to try and resolve it, gently. Let's, let's sort this out together, can we? You and I. That's always got to be the best way. Now, sadly, if that doesn't work, then gradually you need to bring more and more people into it. We don't want to do it, but we have to. And eventually, Jesus says, as a last resort, then you bring it to the church. Again, I think we need to be really careful in the interpretation of of this text, really. I don't think what Jesus is saying here is that by bringing it to the church, you broadcast a person's offences around the whole church so everybody knows about it. I don't think that's what it means at all. It does mean, though, that we need to bring the authority of the church behind whatever action we need to take. And if then they still refuse to listen and change their ways, then this rather difficult text where Jesus says you treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Again, I think that that is open to misinterpretation. Because how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He loved them. He didn't shun them. He didn't push them out. And I think that's what this means. It doesn't mean shunning them or pushing them out. It means reflecting the attitude of Jesus, which always 
means that we have the door open always means that we never push them out or shun them as some particular religious groups have done. In fact, I think we need to be careful with this whole text, really, this whole passage in dealing with the sins of others. This is not a a, a right, a license for a legalistic imposition of the authority of the church. It's not the equivalent of the Spanish Inquisition. This passage of the correction of the sins of others is very much set within the context of seeing and identifying our own sins first. In fact, if you read the whole of this chapter, Matthew 18, you'll see that that within it, we are cautioned about sinful pride when we regard ourselves as better than others somehow. We are cautioned about that. We are told in this chapter about limitless love, limitless forgiveness, about going out of our way in seeking the lost. And so far from being a license to exercise power, it is in fact a command to exercise the love of Jesus. In a sense, in what we do as a church to represent Jesus. Learning, as we were saying earlier, learning to behave like Jesus. The church must model that. In our first reading, Paul talks about putting on Jesus, like putting on clothes. I I find that really quite a helpful concept, really, of clothing ourselves in Jesus, that something of the very nature and the character and the person of Jesus is seen in our attitudes and in our behaviour. And I think that also is what lies behind another passage in this text, in this passage here, another text in this passage that has been widely abused and misunderstood which is about loosing and binding. Whatever you loose on earth, bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven, etc. That is not a license for the church to exercise earthly power and authority and then expect heaven to agree with it. That's sometimes what happens. We do something and we say, ah, Heaven, you agree with it. That's not what this is about. Actually, it's about modelling heaven. What we loose and bind on earth should reflect what is in heaven. So when Jesus, as he says here in this very famous text that we use often when churches are getting smaller and smaller, congregations are getting smaller and smaller and we say where two or three are gathered together there am I in the midst and it's true he is 
But more than that, what happens is that when two or three are gathered together in his name, we cease to be individuals. We become his church. We become his body. And hopefully, we become a group of people that now no longer reflect ourselves, but we reflect the very nature and character of Jesus himself. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I. We represent him. He now is who we are. As we seek to exercise and show and demonstrate his love and his character in all that we do. Even when it's correcting bad behaviour. Thanks be to God. Amen.